Okay, great. I understand. Um, okay. It's recording now. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> it's Dr. Lisa of Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit on Radio Free Brooklyn. I now have, uh, the minute I started recording, I uh, hear my uh, dog going nuts. Mm -hmm. I mean, in case you can't tell. I'm doing this over Zoom in my very own living space. Um, anyway, thanks for tuning in. Um, you know, we're 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 all in this together. It's been a crazy period, something that was obviously unimaginable. Um, you know, I mean, I I keep saying like it it is a difficult time, but I think we're all learning. We're all learning about ourselves. We're all growing. Growth is difficult, growth is painful, but I'll tell you something. When this is all over, you're gonna be like, wow, I went through that. I'm like, I'm like tougher than ever. And you're gonna need that because it's this life on this planet's not getting any easier. And uh, you know, that person you're living with is not gonna be less annoying. So, you know, let's be real about what's going on here, okay? And it's you too, by the way. It's not just them. It's you. You're annoying too. I promise you. I know I am. We all are. Um, anyway, thanks so much. You know, so anyway, you know what? I know uh, I know. this time everybody's sort of getting like hit with donations and stuff, but Radio Free Brooklyn is a really important community. I mean, and look, you know, it's not just me. It's like all these different uh, musicians, music people, po politicians, talk show people, comedians. It's a whole world of people that are here to support you and give us a little bit of love back. And you can get a uh, t-shirt if you go to radiofreebrooklyn.com slash drive to five and donate some money. Okay. Um, anyway, thanks a lot. I am very, very, very excited about my guest today. I have Mike Kaplan. That's M-Y-Q for those of you who are uninitiated, uninitiated who don't fucking know, okay? <laughs> so anyway, uh, hi, Mike. Hello, Dr. Lisa. I, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, my God. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So as I was saying to Mike that uh, he's the first comedian I've had since the, the Zoom thing began. I do have comedians on, but I also have a lot of visual artists, as you know, and a lot of other people and whatever. And last week we had a shrink, thank God, a real shrink who hmm. set us straight about a lot of stuff. But um, I'm going to introduce you to Mike uh, and then, and then uh, I'm going to let Mike introduce himself. But Mike, I'm going to say all the things about you that, you know, sound better when I say them. Please. <laughs> Third party endorsements are great, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So uh, as I told Mike, Mike is actually one of the comedians that I actually feel, you know, I actually feel very comfortable with. One of the male comedians that I actually feel very comfortable with. And I know that says a lot more about me than anybody else. But that's, this is true. And so I am really, it is really reassuring and nice to see him. But Mike is also insanely talented, okay? And incredibly successful. Uh, 
He has been on The Tonight Show, Conan, The Late Show with Letterman, Late Show with Late Night with Seth Meyers, James Corden. He has a half hour special. He has a Netflix of this and that, less comics standing. But what we really wanted to get to is his new album. His new album is coming out May 8th, and it's called AKA Mike. And it's, it's an uh, album that was sort of take off on his show in Edinburgh in 2018. I think we're going to get to talk to him about this a little bit. But uh, so where, tell, okay, Mike, now, now you do your own promotion. What, what do you want to tell us? What did I miss? Please. Uh, so uh, this is fun. Sometimes when I perform at colleges, uh, like in as compared to comedy clubs where you have another comedian introducing you, you know, like what credits would you like me to say when I bring you up? Like at a college, it's often, you know, a student who might be nervous and they're like, mm. what, what should I say? They have to be like, please, you know, go to the barbecue and also a comedian, you know? So <laughs> I'll sometimes offer to, I'm like, would you like me to write something down or text something to you as so what you just did for me now is very, very kind and very accurate and I appreciate it. But for them, uh, sometimes they'll, their in instinct is like read my whole website or like read my uh, whole Wikipedia. So I'm like, what I'll do, I'll like, I'll give them uh, a text. I'll just text them and say, but so I'll have them say almost exactly, you know, what you might've said, maybe, uh, mm -hmm. maybe not as much because it's still me being like, just here, toot my horn as much as possible. But I will, for fun, sometimes have them say a thing like, you know, Mike has a special on Amazon. He's been on these late night shows and he is my favorite comedian. Like he makes me laugh more than anyone. And I'm not just saying this because he wrote this down for me to say, this is what I truly believe in my heart. And he wouldn't make me say a thing like this if it weren't true. So it must be true. Please welcome Mike Kaplan. Uh, <laughs> So well, yes, I should have. Yeah. yeah, you should have. You should. You missed. That's a missed opportunity, Mike. For you, that's a missed opportunity because I would have totally gone for that. I did say I liked you a lot personally. Oh, right. I mean, it's that's and it's, pretty good. That's pretty good. I would say that was unsolicited. So, and and here, look, I I want people to know the truth because uh, I part of that joke is that it becomes clear that it's a joke and people understand that. Like one time I saw Stephen Colbert being interviewed, like maybe during the days of mm -hmm. the Colbert Report mm -hmm. where he had a character mm -hmm. that was different than his actual persona or his personality, mm -hmm. his human mm -hmm. self. And so I saw him being interviewed once and the interviewer was like, well, how do I know who I'm gonna get the answer from if it's gonna be Steven the character or Steven the person? And Steven was very straightforward. He was like, oh, well, tell me who you want the answer from and I'll, like, I don't wanna, <laughs> I don't wanna trick anyone. Like, that's not, the purpose of satire isn't to trick people. The purpose of comedy isn't to trick people. Right. It's to, you know, entertain and bring joy and sometimes express, you know, genuinely, like, held beliefs. I think it's good to, I would like to add thought provoking to comedy. I like, sure, uh, sure. Not, it doesn't have to be though. It doesn't have no, to be. It can do it, many But it things. does, it yes. does, it does for me. It does for me, which is why you're on here. But you know what, Mike, you totally fucked up the whole thing, which was your, you were supposed to tell us all the details about the album, sell the album. Oh, I'm oh, trying oh, to get you to sell your new album. 
I'm very sorry. I I will now. I'm folks listening at home. Best, I assume yes. <laughs> the best comedy album ever of all time. Yes, yes, of course, of course. I I'm sorry that I'm being forced to tell you this, but it is. <laughs> It is honestly like I, you know, I can't speak to how you will perceive it when you listen to it, which you must. It's official that you must. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is of all of the, I believe it's the fifth hour of stand-up comedy that I am like that I've recorded and released wow, publicly. Really? And it it is of those hours, which I've been very happy with. Uh, there's many, you know, many jokes. If I look back at my first album from 10 years ago and I'm like, oh, I probably wouldn't tell that joke today or wouldn't tell it the same way today or wouldn't, you know, there were things right. I didn't know. And I've, I've grown as a human and a comedian in ways. And so I'm not saying that I'm the best comedian in the world. Like one time I was on America's oh, Got Oh, go Talent ahead. Go ahead. Oh, Just okay. say it. Like, I, I, I'm not Please, I want to hear you it. say I, it like, for the I'm record. Just saying, you, know, you are the one who's saying it, if anyone's saying it. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not saying, just edit this out of context. I'm not saying I'm the best comedian in the world. And uh, you can just get that part and use it for promo if you'd like to. But they asked me on America's Got Talent, they, as in an interview, they said, do you think you're the greatest comedian out there? And I said, I do think I'm the greatest comedian in here. And I pointed at my heart and they did not use that footage. But the point is this album is my favorite album of all of uh, all the hours of comedy that I have created and recorded. Like there's new material that I'm working on now that I'm also very much uh, enamored with, in love with, very happy with. But this album of all the ones that are available uh, is my, I think it is the best. It's, I've been telling jokes that I like for years. And I think that one main difference about this is that this album is the most chock full of jokes that I care about, about things that I care about. Mm -hmm. And both of those aspects weren't always present in every one of like all of my albums and all of my jokes in the past. But this is about about something. The album is called AKA and it is short for many things. Originally, when I brought the show to Edinburgh, it was called All Killing Aside uh, because many of the topics, the many of the themes are about kindness, compassion, and not murdering. And <laughs> so in, in this day and age, in, in these times, these challenging times full of uh, suffering, uncertainty, disease, death for many people. Uh, we thought myself and the album producer and my mother discussed, uh, <laughs> I asked my mom, like, what do you think about the name All Killing Aside? And she said, I don't think killing should be in the title. What about All Kidding Aside? And I'm like, we'll, put that. <laughs> we'll, we'll consider that. But sincerely, like without the context, without knowing what the, like, I don't want it to sound like, oh, killing aside, like forget about the killing, just enjoy, you know, like a tone mm. deaf kind of like, cause it's not about escapism. Like you can use it for that, but it is about, it's it's about like, you know, I'm anti-murdering. I'm anti-unnecessary suffering. Like these aren't like, you know, I'm not the biggest hero in the world for, or I'm the biggest hero in the world for expressing these like potentially non-controversial views. But there's some like, you know, in, in jokes and in truths on the album, like I cover these things, but we decided to, for people who would just see the album title, All Killing Aside and not know, uh, right. you know the, the right. extent of what that might mean, uh, we didn't want to, we thought, oh, we'll call it AKA, which has these advantages. Number one, it's short for All Killing Aside. Number two, it's short for AKA, which me means also known as, which is Mike Kaplan is my name. Yeah. I was born with the name Michael Kaplan was given to me by my parents. And so I sort of have an AKA, a stage name. The AKA of All Killing Aside is AKA. So it's an AKA of itself. The album 
has a lot of layers to it. A friend of mine listened to it and said they they called it hilarious and layered, and so I call it hilarious. Because <laughs> That's pretty uh, good. That's layer pretty right good. into hilarious, and so the 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 structure of the album itself is kind of a conceptual palindrome where there's a a piece in the middle about the the movie Inception, and then the rest of it is sort of Inception structured, like going in and then going out mm. topic wise, and so. The, the fact that AKA is a palindrome itself sort of matches up with the conceptual yeah. palindrome structure of mm-hmm. the hour. And I guess the final thing I'll say about it is that uh, my, my full name is Michael Adam Kaplan, M-A-K. And this is sort of like, you know, you're asking me a lot of questions. You could ask me anything. And so this is now with the album name AKA, this is my M-A-K-A, this is my A-K-A, M-A-K-A, A-M-A. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> and so thank you for Very asking and well pulling put. that out of me. Thank <laughs> Well, well, well put. And um, also, you guys, Mike has some very original, he has a lot of uh, philosophical and political viewpoints that are very original to him. And right. And I think it's probably get got you probably feel satisfied that you got that through. And that's what I was sort of hearing you say, maybe. Yes. Makes sense. Uh, Knowing yes. Knowing you a little I, bit. A uh, 100%. Yeah. Um, I, so, I, yeah, I think that- So get start, ready yeah. for some radical <laughs> philosophy in there. Oh, sure. Yeah. When, yeah. when I started but, doing But comedy, not like too heavy, oh. you know? <laughs> I don't know. No, just um, heavy but, enough. But yeah. Mike, we're forgetting that this is really what I wanted to get to, the money part. How do oh. they buy it? You're not, oh, we got to do the sales part. Come on. Well, how <laughs> Thank do you, you expect Lisa. people Thank to find this? This is Jesus, your, how do you I, sell anything? How do you have such a successful career? It must be your management. I've been bumbling through this. No, no, I I mean, (laughs) you're obviously, you know, making it, you know, you're, I mean, yeah. So, uh, somebody's got to be, somebody's got to be doing the market. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. I'll, and right now it's you and I appreciate it. So right now we're recording this uh, before the album is out on May, May 8th, it comes out, but right now it is available for pre-order. If you pre-order it, if you download it on iTunes in advance, uh, it'll be delivered to you on May 8th, but you'll get a track right now. And then next week you'll get another track and next week you'll get another track. So even before it comes out, there will be three tracks available. Uh, But if you get if you stream your music music instead of downloading if you stream your music then you're a cow but if you stream your music <laughs> uh then wherever you stream i believe sometimes you can like it in advance you can do whatever you want to prepare to download it or or stream it or on may 8th just get ready put mark it on your calendar uh you can also go to the record labels website blonde medicine blonde there, with an e, medicine, blonde medicine. that's well that's where that's yeah blonde medicine guys blonde medicine.com slash aka and it has all well of all the options to all the places that you can buy a physical copy or uh, a stream a virtual copy uh they'll all be there and that is how also you could just venmo me money at mike kaplan if you really or just want to get just me money send you yeah. money just yeah, send you money that, welcome that, to do that see now that's good marketing um Anyway, I'll paste the uh, link when I post the episode. It'll be all be there. So um, anyway, Mike, like I was saying, you're the first comedian that's been on since the pandemic. And uh, I have actually been thinking about that a lot. Not a lot, but I have been thinking about it. Like, what's it like? Because um, as I was I was saying the other day, like comedy is the uh, most live audience in interdependent uh 
artistic medium there is, I think, right? Uh, 100%. I mean, it, it, I, I don't have all of the other art forms at my disposal. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I am a musician, and I know that one difference between musical performance, like live performance is its own beautiful thing, no matter what right. the form of it is. But certainly, uh, I know that from performing music and, and consuming music, I, when I watch it or when I'm doing it, I, I can enjoy like a performance that is recorded or live streamed a music, like some of my favorite musicians are doing shows from their home and their show from their home, like doesn't require, you know, an audience reaction as, you know, sort of a, mm. a usual or necessary or ideal ingredient of it. So for me now, like, you know, I'm not traveling, I'm not, you know, touring like I would be. And you do, uh, you do try, you do tour a lot. Like how many shows a year? Do, I mean, you're, you're involved in a lot of things besides just performing live, but how many shows, live shows a year do you do? Like probably. Uh, I mean, certainly more than one a day on average. Like, oh, I was going to say like a hundred, but it's more like 300 or 400. Yeah, oh yeah, I would oh. I would say that in, in a given week, like if I'm in New York City, like I'll either have, I, there might be a few nights where I don't go out to do shows, but mm -hmm. then there's also equally a few nights where I'll do two, three, or four shows. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd okay. say usually it's between one, one, one to three for me. There are some comedians who do eight a night, you know, mm -hmm. there's, uh, but I do, so I do more than some and fewer than some, but mm -hmm. I, so I think it definitely and, and, balances and, out. And, and, why don't you tell, uh, can you verbalize for, for us, like why, what it is about an audience as a creative person is so important or, or like how, how that factors in and why it's different for comedy. Even if you go to opera, you could, opera would be better. You can just still enjoy opera or theater or a lot of stuff without a live audience. But what is it about comedy with a live audience? I mean, I, I will say to answer that question in a roundabout way, I did one show a few nights ago uh, with, at a, at, with a group of people that are associated with this thing called the Nowhere Comedy Club. And I'll be doing another show with them actually on the release date, May 8th of my album, sort of an oh, album release nice. celebration. And the a thing that they did that was uh, sort of a spectrum of all the different kinds of shows that are happening now. Like there's some like on Instagram live maybe where just I'll perform, but it's, I don't even like, and there are people commenting. So I know there are people uh, there right. watching and I can maybe interact with them, but I don't hear them laughing. Right. Uh, but then there's some Zoom meeting shows where sometimes the people are muted and I don't hear them at all. Sometimes the people are not muted, but that, that's sort of a, a wild card because then it could just be whatever noise is happening in right. their home or on their end. Right. But this one particular show I did a few nights ago and with the same group I'll do again, uh, they had like a particular like curated experience for certain like they had VIPs in like what they called the front row of the Zoom meeting whose microphones were on, who understood that they were there to be an audience because- Interesting. Because in a way, I mean, and that made it the most, you know, like an in real life show Ooh. of any of the shows that I've done during this quarantine time. And uh, it, I mean, it's because like comedy, like music, like when you're when you're affected by it emotionally, it's like you don't necessarily make a sound. I think Pete Holmes has a joke about he's a comedian with a joke about 
magicians and how like with laughter, the involuntary reaction to comedy, there's a, a bodily function that laughter happens, you know, against our right. will sometimes involuntarily. Right. Right. And, he, and his joke is about like, I wish there was a sound for like an involuntary sound for like when a magic trick happened because <laughs> it's impressive and, and it's doing a thing. It's accomplishing, you know, uh, the, it's achieving its its purpose, but and the same is true. I would say to add to that for music, without making a joke, but like there's no like when a song ends. This is a, a joke that I would tell sometimes. Is the difference between comedy and music is if you walked into a place like a cafe and you didn't know there was going to be a, a show of music. Oh, the song might end. A, a folk singer stops playing, and then oh, you applaud because the song is over, and that's the only engagement that is required uh you know that's sort of like the standard etiquette but if there was a comedy show and you came in and you didn't know there was comedy it's not like you're going to look up from your conversation and be like oh the joke ended ha 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 you're not going to you can't just politely right. laugh at comedy right. comedy right. requires right. a purposeful engagement a you know it's it's you're you're a team in a way it's it's sort of a conversation in which yeah. one person talks and the audience laughs or it's like the inter it's like the audience is uh an instrument that is in a way I've heard played that too. by the yeah i've heard so, that too yeah but don't you think like i mean i or at least my my impression is like and you know i my live of performing experience whatever is like in order to improve the work you kind of need the audience right don't don't you think in order to i mean you're a real pro i think you're fine without an audience for for quite some time but i mean if you're really like working on material and really wanting to develop it don't you think i mean my impression is you can't really become a better comedian without an audience well i I think like I can be a better yeah. artist without, you know, any, without it. Well, I like feedback, but you know, it doesn't matter. I can improve my skills, but how do you, I think in order to prove your, you know what I'm saying. I do. I, so I think the spirit of what you're saying is, is right on. And also I'll add this. Here's the, the two, so two things. One uh, is that while during these times I am living with my girlfriend and she's the only human being that I, you know, interact with in person most mm -hmm. days. Uh, so she is the only live audience that I have access to. So sometimes oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. when I'm doing these comedy shows, you know, into the ether and not hearing laughter in response, like I might, so sort of like a different kind of performance art piece or like a live podcast or just mm -hmm. an exercise in, you know, being in the moment mm -hmm. or, you know, just seeing what happens. And But when my girlfriend is there, there are certain jokes that she laughs at. So I'm skewing towards those jokes. Oh. Like there's one in a particular and a joke that I have is that like now after I, we get out of this, ideally, uh, all of my material will be about how I love my girlfriend because <laughs> that's the jokes that are doing the best in these times. <laughs> That, that said, I will say this, that um, Pete Holmes also uh, is a person who might not be the only person making this point, but certainly has made it in a way that I remember where, uh, you know, the idea of doing comedy, like the, I think the Seinfeld way we all sort of learned is like, he didn't miss a night on stage for a year and a half or two years at one point. And that's the way you do it. That's the way you get better. You go on every night. You have to do it. You have to uh -huh. just put in the reps. And then Pete was like, you know, I, 
I, what if I want to take a night off and watch The Dark Knight one night? Why don't people do it the way that I do it? And he specifically says, you know, you, you also need to live a life that's worth commenting on. So I think that that aspect of being an artist of any kind, including a comedian, is something that needn't be put on hold. And in fact, it's almost impossible to be put on hold as long as you are, even in your homes, paying attention you know, to your inner experience, to right. the, the things that you're reading, the other, the people that you're engaging with. Like I've gone on so many podcasts where we you know, joke back and forth and have meaningful exchanges that lead me to like have all, I'm creating so many like joke seeds that when I come to live audiences again, I will mm -hmm. plant those seeds mm -hmm. and grow them and hopefully uh -huh. help them bloom into you know the joke uh garden or forest or whatever <laughs> you know the massive joke uh jungle planet that i can create uh so i i think that uh just as an it doesn't do me any good personally to bemoan all the audiences that i would be performing in front of but i can't because no. we're all in this experience yeah, right I'm now just, yeah i mean i'm just talking about like the creative process it must I'm sure it's frustrating, you know, but, but, but also I was going to say that, uh, forgot my point. Okay. Um, I was going to say that, um, you know, I think it's just, oh, that I think this is a very fruitful time for creative people. That's what I was going to say, because I think that it's kind of reframed our entire lives in a new way. And I find that there's so many things that I'm noticing and thinking about that would never have occurred to me. So I find, although I think I'm really horrified, I mean, it's horrible what's happening, but I do think um, creatively uh, it's a very fertile, a very fertile period could be, you know, there's a lot going on, a lot of new stuff. It, it is certainly one of the possibilities. Like, I think, I, for sure, I, I feel that way as well. And I've also talked to people, other comedians, other artists, other writers, who there's like a spectrum of experiences out there. And I think they're all, you know, if people are just doing what they need to to survive, if not thrive, you know, if people, people are facing different physical, mm -hmm. emotional, spiritual realities mm -hmm. and... Uh, so it's it's valuable mm -hmm. to know, like, if you are creating something in these times, like, you might be making more than you ever were. If you have extra time and you're at home and your your mind is free to do these things, and then for some people, you might be wrapped up in, you know, anxiety, depression, or otherwise trying to keep up and help mm -hmm. and do other things. And mm -hmm. my, my friend uh, Ramin Nazer is a comedian and a visual artist. He posts beautiful. Uh, art on Instagram that I recommend people checking Check out. Check it out. How do you spell his name? R-A-M-I-N, Ramin, and Nazer, N-A-Z-E-R. Okay, cool. And he, he, he has a Patreon as well, so half of his art goes for free on Instagram mm -hmm. and half of it uh, goes right. to Patreon, and so I support him on Patreon, and one of his Patreon posts recently was about uh, the different, I, I'm paraphrasing, but it was like the different branches of creativity and how we might be worried sometimes like, oh, I'm not working on my book or my song or my comedy act or my painting or whatever my art is because I'm busy doing this other also important thing, whether I'm, you know, communing with right. a loved one or, right. you know, taking care of like going on a walk, taking care of your emotional, mental, physical well-being. And he's like, these are all like valuable branches of you 
being you yourself. Like, uh, yeah, that makes yeah. sense to me. Um, but what about like on a on a like just on a day to day level? I mean, you guys are used to hanging out and go. You know what I mean? Like, what about all that? Like, you're not doing shows together and things like that. Do you notice that a lot, or, or what? What what's the buzz? What are what are you comedians saying? Uh, well, I think that uh, comedians are not a monolith, so I can't speak for everyone. I can speak for myself, and I feel that in some ways I'm doing more things or at least the same amount of things, of shows, of comedy-type events, of podcasts, of huh. streaming things, like because they just sort of rose to fill the what would have been a void due to the lack of live shows happening. Like, for example... Uh, Eastville Comedy Club in Brooklyn uh, mm -hmm. is a club that, you know, I would perform at you know, several times a month when uh, performing live was a thing and hopefully again will be. Uh, but for now, in the in the off time, they are doing like nightly streams that are not stand up shows, but are like comedians gathering uh, in a room, you know, or in each in their own room and then having ah. kind of like what might be a podcast or a I discussion see. or, you know, being fun and funny and friendly. Like I did one last week with, uh, with it was me. Macaulay Culkin. Yes. It How was, was uh, that? How, what is Macaulay Culkin's story? I wanted to ask you about that. What, what Did he have a drug problem? or something or what what is the deal do you know i don't know the answer I, to that i want some gossip I, can we get some gossip i mean i'm i'm sure that that information is available, available. but we uh we just we talked mo mainly in the present we didn't we didn't get a life history but did uh, he, he seemed was like normal did he seem he always seemed like i don't i don't i am no expert on him but he always seems like there's something wrong but did he seem hmm. normal uh, I would say that uh, my experience of what the range of normal is is perhaps skewed because comedians are right. who I know mostly. And I would say uh, compared to most of the comedians I know, I would say he was right there in that sweet spot of he he very well. If I didn't know who he was, I'd be like, oh, yeah, this this guy could be a comedian based on the way that he's interacting with these other comedians mm -hmm. in this room. So, yeah, uh -huh. he's, I mean, so he's, he felt I think, normal. Uh, I yes, mean, it, but it, well, well, we're, we're talking about, it, it's all relative. I know, of course, my idea of normal, I mean, you know, my listeners are not normal. I mean, mm -hmm. if you really want to know, I mean, if we're really going to narrow down, it's a certain view of skew of normal anyway, to begin with. So, but oh, I sure. know what I you're saying. Yeah. I don't even know. Sometimes I say to audiences when I perform, uh, I say, who here identifies as normal? Because <laughs> I think most most people don't. Certainly most people in my audiences as well. Every once in a while, one person will raise their hand or clap and I'll say, well, look at that. One person believes that they're normal. Isn't that weird? You know, right. so... Like, I mean, there's so many Hi. different, like I grew up, you know, in a, a suburb of New Jersey and my parents were teachers. We lived in a house and it, it felt mm -hmm. like, you know, I saw things like that on TV and he in movies. He went to Brandeis. He went to I Brandeis. Did. And, Very good and then, school. Oh yeah. And then throughout the rest of my life, I learned, you know, in 
statistically speaking, a, a, a very small minority of people go to college. And most people grow up, you know, in America, in like uh, 80% of people grow up in urban areas, like within, mm-hmm. you know, like metropolitan mm-hmm. city mm-hmm. areas, and only 20% live completely far away from mm-hmm. any city. So like the the idea of like, oh, like mm-hmm. the middle America normal, like that's, that's something that's, it's, it's all like normal is almost always uh, a fiction. So if anyone's listening and you feel weird, you are probably just like everybody else in that they feel weird. And if you're listening and you're like, I actually feel normal, then great. Uh, keep it up. Um, I want to switch topics. I want to talk sure. about polyamory. Wanna, let's Please. talk about polyamory. Chris, I'm ha- uh, I like to uh, talk about No, I mean, that's fine. Oh, here, yeah, here's no. the thing, guys. Here's the thing. So, uh, you know, Mike's been on the show. I've known Mike. I mean, I'm, you know, whatever. I've known, I don't know, years, years. Um, but I do know Mike as uh, originally uh, someone who was polyamorous and very, um, you know, straightforward, very normal about it. You know, he was just polyamorous and that's the way it was. But today I find out that Mike is now in a monogamous relationship. I think the last time we talked, you were dating, you had the same girlfriend, right? Because it was definitely less than four years. You, you've been with her four years. Yes. Um, and I think maybe we talked about her a little bit, but so I want to find out um, how, what the switch, what, what happened? What the fuck happened? Now you're monogamous, like what happened in there? What happened in there? Why don't you tell us just a little bit about your girlfriend and maybe how sure. you met and uh, then we'll, then let us know what changed. Uh, absolutely. So uh, just going back a little further, just to let you know, I moved to New York in 2008, so we must have known each other sometime shortly thereafter. You know, it could be the right. past 10 right. years, um, somewhere thereabouts. Oh, cheese lounge, comic, something like that, right? Exactly. And uh, and I, I had been married, I'd been monogamously married uh, in the earlier 2000s. And uh, part of what I came out of that with was thinking that I couldn't do that again, that I didn't didn't think I was cut out for being like one person forever. And that, how old were you? I'm sorry to interrupt. How old yeah. were you when you got married? I was, uh, I think we met at 24 and got married at 25. Okay. All right. So and where, where I, which, did, yeah. yeah. Where did you guys live? Uh, Boston is mm-hmm. where okay. we were. All right. All right. So, okay, cool. 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 Uh, so yeah, so that, now, looking back as a person who is 41, I'm like, oh, yeah, I think 25, like that's when that's the, the when your brain has fully developed. Like there is I hadn't had any experience. You know, I, I dated people. But Way too I, young to get married. That was ridiculous. Uh, I mean, and I don't regret it, but I do understand why I why it didn't work because we weren't we weren't if. Here's a, I listen to Dan Savage's podcast a lot, and one uh-huh. thing that he talks about is if you think you want to get married to somebody when you're in your like young twenties, is like if you want to spend your life with somebody, then why not? You know, instead of getting married after a year, why not stay with them for several years? Because if you do want to get married, if you want to spend your life with them, then there's what's the rush? It, you're going to be <laughs> with each other, uh, so why not see? And so for me personally, I realized that after three years with that with that the person that I married, a person who I still, I, I, I think of her as a family member, you know, like a person sure. in my life who I care about. Sure. We don't talk to all the time, but 
uh, we just learned that being to you know being together for a year or or two years is like the the honeymoon phase the the, right. the chemicals oh, in your no brain, question. and uh, and so. I now know. Uh, so I, I was I, my let the lesson that I took from the marriage was right. I don't do that again. <laughs> but, but now I'm like, what a silly thing! I, I that I didn't even realize I was, you know, doing a very unscientific experiment where I was being like, well, we have one data point that monogamy doesn't work, which is kind of funny because I I never thought I didn't think about this until right now actually because. Sometimes you hear people talk about open relationships and polyamory, and they're like, if they know of one example that didn't work, they're like, yeah, those things never work. But people never look at a monogamous relationship that fails and say, oh, yeah, those things never work. But that's what I did. I was like, oh, wow. I guess I guess it's not right for me. And so for for about 10 years, uh, so you kind of made wait, let me just ask you, you sorry to interrupt you. You made up your mind at that point and you just kind of rode that out. I think, yeah, I would say maybe I, I, I don't want to, no value judgments on this, but I opened my mind to the possibility of other ways of openness as a possibility, because I still liked the idea of being with a person right. for an extended period of time, but right. I also wanted to be open to the fact, the idea of like, what if I met a person? I don't want to, I don't want to miss out and why limit yourself were like the two main questions that sort of informed my wanting to be non-monogamous. Which you needed to answer, which took time and maybe you, and, you feel like you answered that, right? I mean, and yeah, now I would say that I, within the relationship that I'm in, the answer to the question, uh, why limit yourself? Like, I don't feel that I am limiting myself because uh, it being in the relationship that I'm in is... Uh, in ways like unlimited, it is infinite in the amount of uh, like getting to like I was worried that like I feel like the the couple worries about uh, about lifelong monogamy that you know impacted me like one of them is like what if you get bored like just the same person over and over again mm -hmm. but this person my girlfriend Rini is not boring she is amazing and she changes all the time also like we're always you know learning new things having different experiences like reading different things taking in different art creating different things like mm -hmm. the I I come up like as a comedian I come up with so many ideas like too many to even try and I feel like this relationship is the equivalent of that there's yeah. so much uh, wow. like every every morning I wake up and very frequently I, I'll I'll do these morning pages and sometimes I'll do them as an email to her just a message to her uh, about you know my current state of uh, of feelings and maybe something if we wow. had an experience wow. the day before whether it was wow. challenging or or you know gratifying and either way I'm like grateful to get the opportunity to engage with it to engage with her and so when we when we made the switch when we decided to be monogamous together uh, I at first I was like I don't know like I, I I was a little afraid or like not not afraid but or maybe afraid but I was certainly uncertain of how it would be how I would be how I would react I was like will I will I miss what I think of as like the the thing that I'm not going to have the thing that I'm losing that I felt I want to ask you a quick question which is um who was was one of you driving it more than the other? I mean, the cliche, like the stereotype is like the chick would be like, I mean, was there any pressure on either of you to? to uh... I would say that there is no pressure, that it was a series of- It was really of, a mutual decision, right? 
conversations that, you know, over the course of time, like both of us had, yeah, different understandings. Yeah. And and when, when did you become monogamous? Um, well, we, we started we, knowing each other in 2016, and uh, I would say date, we were dating other people while we were first mm-hmm. dating. Mm-hmm. And then about six months in, she started dating somebody else monogamously. And so there were a few months where we were not together at all. Mm. And then after that, in 2017, uh, she extracted herself from that situation, which mm-hmm. turned out not to have been uh, a great uh, it was not a great partner for her. And we got back in touch and started seeing each other and we moved in together. And I mean, we've been, we loved each other, I think the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so then sometime between like in the 2017-ish to 2018 mm-hmm. period of time is when those conversations were were happening. Right. But you lived together and you weren't monogamous. For a little time, yes. Yeah. So that, that, that's interesting. Did you guys, I mean, there's a difference between the agreement or the mentality of it and the actual practice, right? Like thinking you're being monog, being polyamorous and acting poly or actually, you know, acting on it. So did you guys sleep with other people? That's what I guess I'm trying to yeah, there too. were there were times <laughs> that that did happen, and I mean, sometimes it might be that like I was traveling, you know, and so right. if she was at home and I was on the road, like I actually honestly don't remember specifically all of the timelines, but there certainly were there was a time. So it was active yeah. that way, yes. and you guys were you guys were cool with that. I mean, uh, yes, sometimes we were, and then sometimes Some there were, were things that happened that led to some of the conversations that you know. Ultimately, the there's a thing that Lenny Bruce once said. He said, "I'm I'm not a comedian. I'm Lenny Bruce, and uh-huh. I feel that for us, like I'm like we are not any. We're not a polyamorous relationship. We're not a monogamous relationship. We also we are a monogamous relationship currently, but we're Mike and Rini. We like I care more about being with this person than I do care about whatever the relationship structure is, and so that is why like I now I know that." like being with this person is like the most important thing. Well, I love that you were able to explore being poly polyamorous even as a couple, because I think that probably, um, you know, you probably learned a lot that way. And, and most couples would never learn whatever you guys learned. I would say, I thought of this the other day, the, that I, what I'm engaged in now is like informed monogamy in that, mm-hmm. you know, originally it was just sort of gifted uh, or cursed by, by society, by pop culture, by fairy tales, by media, by my, you right. know, my, my family and by, you know, every, the, the culture around me mm-hmm. that I was raised in was uh, whether or not everybody I knew was monogamous. Like it was certainly what was presented as n- not even an option, just the only thing like you, you know, as, I am a, a straight man and I that was a part of the, the heteronormative right. narrative. Right. They're like, you will grow up mm-hmm. and be attracted to women and <laughs> you'll marry one and have kids and that's the way it works. And then oh, throughout the years, I would find out, of course, that there are many ways in which those things certainly aren't true for everyone and needn't be true. And I found the ways that they needn't be true for me. And so when they were like, monogamy is the only way. And I was like, I don't think it is. And now I'm like, oh, and now it is 
it, uh, through this, through having been non-monogamous, I have uh, come to a deeper appreciation of this particular monogamous relationship that is, you know, the favorite of, of any experience that I've had. You know, I'm wondering, I mean, I love the way you talk about your relationship. It's, I mean, it's really, it really seems like a good example of a solid, conscious, thoughtful relationship. And um, it's great. It's, it's inspiring. Um, I'm wondering if, you know, being polyamorous and now being monogamous, I wonder if all that polyamory kind of made put you in a position to learn a lot more about, to have a different, broader perspective on relationships, which actually helped you have a healthier relationship now. Do you think that's true? I do think it's true. And also I'll add this, that maybe it helped me learn this thing, which you can certainly learn uh, if you're monogamous as well. Uh, but the, the thing is that every relationship is specific to itself that right. like you can learn some things in one relationship that may serve you in that relationship and then you can't just like let's say even to make a, a simple analogy physically speaking like what turns one person on might not turn another person on you can't just like and i feel like probably i didn't even know that from you know like my first girlfriend in high school uh when i didn't know mm -hmm. anything to right. like, like but i was like okay well this this move works on this person. Like, so I'll try it on the next person, you know, and they might be like, oh, that doesn't actually, you know, just certain people have different erogenous zones, you know. And, and similarly, different people have different, you know, metaphorical uh, erogenous zones, you know, things that uh, might bother one person might be the favorite of another person like mm -hmm. whether it's you know the way that you communicate or the way that you you know how much time you spend together mm -hmm. is a, I, sometimes I, I talk about that like uh, like your hangout libido you know like I'm more of an extrovert than my girlfriend is and so she sometimes will want and need more space and time uh, just for for herself to be by herself to read and knit and just mm -hmm, be be mm -hmm. peaceful and mm -hmm. alone and that's a thing that at what at initially in our relationship I was like you know initially when we weren't living together that's I do my thing and she does her thing and we get together but living together now I'm like oh it's like we're here we're, we we can have fun we can hang out and we can and then but sometimes it's more important to mm -hmm. you know communicate mm -hmm. with each other individually like any given whether polyamorous or monogamous or whatever your relationship structure it's important to like know what what you want and need and and listen to your partner about what and express that to them and also listen to them express to you what they want and need which may be informed by your past relationships but uh you you can't you can't come into it like here's a here's a fun analogy that i i hadn't thought of before right now if i may uh mm -hmm. when i was uh a kid i went over to a friend's house he'd just gotten the, the board game clue and we were excited to play. And I was like, oh, man, I'm excited to play. And he's like, oh, yeah, but I played yesterday, so I already know who did it. And that, like, that's not how the game Clue works, is there's a different person, you know, you put a different card in every time. But he didn't know. He thought he'd just, he'd played the game. And so I feel like that'd be like going into a relationship. And <laughs> I was already in a relationship, so I know how they work. So this is how it goes. Like that would be, it seems even more nonsense for your partner to be like, do I get to say anything about this? No, no, no. You're just the game I'm playing. So um, you've, you've gotten to really recognize her as the individual that she is and that uh, all, all, all of us are the individuals that we are. That's good. 
And additionally, I feel like she has, I mean, number one, she, we met because she uh, had seen my comedy and then we talked after a show. And so she liked the things that, she liked the person I was and the things that I was saying. And also she has helped me uh, become better, helped me like grow and become uh, like happier and kinder and more fulfilled and more, more thoughtful mm-hmm. in many ways. Like help, mm-hmm. help, she can see some blind spot. Like we all have blind spots, you know? She's made you a better person. She, she has. And you're and, open, yeah. but you're also, oh, you know, you're, op- you're both open to growth. And I think that's a really key part of being, a, you know, a worthwhile, making a life being worthwhile for anybody. Opening, openness to growth is huge, right? <laughs> Yeah, there's the there's a Buddhist uh, master. I I like this quote by I think his name is Shunryu Suzuki, and he said something like to his students or to everyone. He would say, "You are perfect just as you are, and also you could stand some improvement." <laughs> exactly. So, what does your girlfriend do? Uh, well, right now she uh, lives in our bedroom and, uh, you know, knits and reads. But uh, previously, and she was actually doing that for a little while because she broke her ankle in December and so was had some a practice quarantine Aww. for a few months. But it's doing better now. So she can walk outside if she wants to, but now doesn't All by want herself. To. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, before that, she, uh, for for a job to the question of, you know, where did she go to work? She would uh, sell fine jewelry. She worked uh, first like at a department store in the fine jewelry department. And then more recently was working as like an ambassador or I don't know if that's the right word, but for a jewelry company. Yeah. She, there's like a ambassador they call them, right? But yeah, I think this particular, it's not a, not a brand so much as like a specific, uh, you know, jewelry artist from, uh, from a a place like a rep so, yeah. representing yes, individual a, a people. Oh, she's like a rep or an agent, as you guys would say. So, Perhaps, um, yeah, but she, like but that. her job was pretty much, you know, like the point. What I'm th- what I'm wondering about is, so she went to work, and uh, she a did. lot of a lot. So what I'm what I'm wondering about is, so traveling. You traveled a lot, didn't you? Yes. Before and so, how is that different now? Uh, well. Uh, with her, do you mean, or now? Like, um, yeah. How is how like you? You're home all the time now. Oh yes. Yeah, uh, and you were out. I mean, I guess even when you were working at in New York, you were out all the time. So I'm saying, like, you're both home now, and how has that dynamic affected your oh, relationship? I understand. And Great I don't question. even mean bad. Yeah. I don't mean bad or good. I mean, I'm sure you guys have a really solid thing. Do you hear it? Listen, listen, guys. Especially you federal <laughs> uh, yeah. guys. The way this guy is talking about his chick, <laughs> that's how we all want to be talked about. <laughs> that's how every guy should talk about his chick. Okay. Uh, so, um, and, and also, don't just talk about it. Mean it and do it. Mean it. Mean <laughs> it. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm saying. Get the vibe. <laughs> Get the vibe. Pay attention. So now that you guys are together all the time, how is it different? How's your... Re- How's it affected your relationship? 
So there's uh, an analogy I like. Uh, I heard this once about long distance. They said that long distance is like the wind, somebody said. Mm -hmm. Long distance, the wind will extinguish a small flame like a candle, but it will, for a forest fire, it'll fan it. It'll, the wind will spread a great flame. And distance, you know, people always say long distance doesn't work. Or when they say that, it's when the, the flame was small. Or, you know, there could be many right. other reasons, but just, mm -hmm. you know, to generalize. But there are certainly people who didn't break up in a long distance relationship because they didn't want to because the flame was larger and so with respect or they, to or they were able to personally negotiate past that i think a lot of it is a very individual how much can you what can you do within your relationship sure, we're all sure, responsible <laughs> okay go ahead sorry Oh, you know, that's, that's true and good. And, uh, and so I think proximity it acts like distance in this as well, like where we're all, you know, in ways forced into more proximity than we would have had mm -hmm. or chosen necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so there, we've, we've heard a lot of, you know, unfortunately, domestic violence is on the rise. Uh, good news, murderers are decreasing <laughs> is from what I've heard, though who knows how many yeah. we'll find out about. Why kill your fact. partner yeah. when you can torture them? Ah, but uh, <laughs> but for, and there uh -huh. may be, you know, they, the people are mm -hmm. predicting like higher divorce rates right, uh, because right. some, for some people, this time is stressful. I mean, yeah. for everyone, it's stressful. Yeah. Well, but the way that stress manifests in a relationship for us, it's been, I think we've had good practice at being in the home together, even at times when we had different, you know, desires for how much time to spend together. Like, for example, when even when she would go to a, a job in a building and then come home at night, if she was gone for eight hours, nine hours, she comes home. I've been perhaps in the home spending time on my own all day. And now I'm excited that she's home and she is excited to not be engaging right, with right, anyone. Right. I know and, that. I mean, I and know that drill. I can get oh, that. Yeah. I get that. And so, yeah. So th those times, even in the past, you know, a couple of years ago, when those, when that would be what, like, the dynamic was, you know, pre-pandemic, I, I had to learn. We, we had to learn how to negotiate our, our home mm -hmm. environment. Mm -hmm. Our, like, sometimes I would, even if I didn't have a show, go out to give her space in right. the apartment. Oh. And now that I don't have, now that that's a thing, like, we do actually, we did just move into a, a. a a basement apartment that has an outdoor area that as oh, it gets warmer, nice. like we, we can go out there. So one of us, nice. now we have our bedroom, our living room and oh, our outdoor nice. area. So if we need right now, we're fortunate that, you know, for yeah. some people, if you have a studio apartment, you're like, you take the couch and I'll be on the other side of the room and let's not look at each other. But the point is we, we express to each other at, you know, uh, implicit, implicitly or explicitly, like what we need as far as like, if she's like, I'm really into this book right now. Sometimes she'll be fine if I'm there also reading. Sometimes I'm like a uh, kind of a, you know, a, a movable, a person that there's, there's a frenetic energy, even if I'm sitting still and she's a sensitive person. So sometimes I'll be in, I'll understand either because she tells me or I, I glean that, oh, I'll be in the other room now and you'll be oh. in here. And then we'll, we'll pr more purposefully come together and have times uh, that we spend together. Here, here, here's a really, here's a really uh, important point about that, that you don't take that personally, do you? Yes. Uh, I mean, because I think that's, um, I think a lot of, in a lot of relationships, when the other person needs space, 
a lot of times they, the person, people are really different and I exactly what you're saying, but I think a lot of times people take that personally when their partner needs space. It's not just that they need more space in general. Oh yeah, I will 100% say that I I do my best and that I didn't always, my best wasn't always as good as, as it is now. Like in earlier on, I definitely, I would take it personally ah. and I'm I'm glad that I don't uh, as much, or I, I won't say at all. I can't, I'm still a, a fallible person. I'm a human being. I have flaws. And yeah. like sometimes, yeah. if depending on what I'm going through, like if I sometimes I have, you know, right. needs uh, for like, let's say comfort if I'm feeling right. away because of a thing. But if she also, we, you know, if we both have yeah. needs, then we need to figure out whose needs are, you know, mm -hmm. more. Uh, salient and pressing and what, what we can do for both of us because we understand that we both have the purest of intentions for ourselves and one so another. So fucking but, mature. So fucking mature. It's certainly easy to say it now, you know, while there's, the, you know, in the calm uh, and there is, there is more calm and I am able to do things for myself more when, because my, I'd say my, my process of, of getting through uh, a challenge often involves talking it through, and sometimes her process involves silently processing on her own. So that is, uh, uh, you know, if we were, if we staked our claims in the ground, and we're, it would be an incompatibility. But I understand her. that sometimes she yeah. needs to be alone, and I will then also be alone or talk to a different person who isn't her in those times. So, um, just so that I can understand that you're both like, like, so, um, just so I don't wind up like over idealizing this, please. So what, like, what, where do you think, where, where do you need, where's the growth in, where do you, where, what would you say you need to grow in both of you as a couple? Like where, where's the con, where's the fucking conflict? What fucking goes wrong? Something can't be right. It's gotta be oh. some problem somewhere. Tell us. I mean, uh, I think that I read a, a friend of mine named Corey Allen. He has a podcast called The Astral Hustle, and he's mm -hmm. uh, he wrote a, a book on meditation and mm -hmm. sort of his life called Now Is the Way. And he, I saw a post by him the other day, something like, uh, "Letting go is you know not something that you just do once. It's something that you have to do like exhaling. Like the more mm -hmm. that you're taking in, like you can't just be like, oh, breathing, breathing in, I did it, breathing out, yeah, I've done that already. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a, a constant process of uh, endeavoring to remember these things and having it be like, I I, I sort of came up with this uh, this I think I think I came up with this joke or it it's about uh, or it's a Mark Marin joke. I don't remember. But from years ago, <laughs> the idea was, or maybe I thought of it about him, but I'm like, maybe it's also about me, you know, the same way you're, it, it, we see the world as we are, not as it is. And so this is my M Mark Marin inspired idea that maybe about myself that like sometimes in the past, I would feel like I would you know, sometimes feel anger at, at times as a, as a human does. And maybe I would make someone, I would say a hurtful thing uh, to a person I cared about and then later apologize, you know, and then uh -huh. the goal is to eventually, you know, decrease the time from anger to apology to, oh, oh, I realize, I realize it until eventually the time is so close that you're just angrily apologizing. You're like, sorry about this, you know, <laughs> in the moment. And maybe eventually you get to the place where you feel the anger, but then you're like, oh, I'm not going to like water that seed as Thich Nhat Hanh says. I'm going mm. to like, you know, accept it, note it, and then hopefully mm. like it will like a cloud pass and allow the 
blue sky to be available. But uh, so it's, it's, I mean, I have my, my work to do in my mind all of the time, you know, and uh, so does Rini. And then, you know, it's a constant, you know, a period of uh, like, you're always like, getting, continuing to get to know mm. the person because you're always both That's growing and changing people. But for sure, sometimes uh, we have our sensitivities. And uh, I think what, what happened just the other day, Oh yeah, like she Mike, is, yes. Mike, we have twenty yes. seconds left. Oh, and great. I'm gonna have well, to then. cut you off. Um, I, I wanna make sure that um we stick around a second when after I stop recording. Will do. So anyway, uh thanks so much for listening to Dr. Lisa <laughs> Gives a Shit on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'll be posting Mike's links and stick around. <laughs> <laughs>